0: KMOX and your service Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline
1: Now Mike Miller on KMOX
2: Yes folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly But right now you can call 314-436-7900 Or 1-800-925-1120 With questions, comments or concerns And Mr. Kelly, before you slip out, uh, tomorrow's President's Day, you and Sue have any big plans?
3: Uh, Well, actually, I have a basketball game and then not playing. I'm yelling. I talk. I yell into a microphone. Okay. And then uh, we have a family gathering afterwards, which doesn't have anything to do with President's Day, but it could. You know, we, we could we could say it is. Right. Yeah. At your house? No, it's at a restaurant. Oh. I have a nephew who is moving back from Texas. Whoa. So we're going to welcome him back and uh, and just see what's up.
2: And check to see if he has an accent.
3: I, I would bet he does, because he's been down there a while. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, great. That sounds like fun.
3: Actually, he spent a lot of time in Florida, too, so it might be kind of a mix. Southern Texas. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, great, so. thanks. Do you? Are you going to celebrate President's Day?
2: I don't think so.
3: Really? Why no. not?
2: Well, I mean, just do it passively.
3: Oh, okay, a passive presidential celebration. Yes. Okay, sounds good. Enjoy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes. On Saturday morning, we get together and we have a discussion about what's going on in your backyard. How about that side yard where the neighbors' gutters, downspouts are always flushing water, or the front yard, especially garden space? And how are your house plants doing? Uh, potting mixes. Improving, improving your soil, shearing and pruning, and uh, guess what? Removal of bugs and diseases. Yes, this is a time of year when you can do some starting of insect control with using dormant oil sprays. Information used that I share with you, you can make decisions on your own, of course, but uh, hopefully they'll help you solidify your options with the final judgment yours. So, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, into your mobile device, onto your smart speaker, or every place else where you might potentially be listening to the Garden Hotline. And uh, thanks again for having me on your show. Very important player is Cole. He's again producing two weeks in a row. I don't know if he's a. Uh, Soon going to be taking over the Garden Hotline or what? What's the story? I don't know. And I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like. I call them a walk and talk. You can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today, after this show, I'm headed up to Overland and going to take a look around. I did a design for these folks years ago. And uh, as all of us do, we get a little bit older and they want to make some modifications. So that sounds great to me. So let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. <sighs> I'm just so tired of this last two days being so cold. But anyway, I started out and uh, I looked up at the sky and I was surprised. About a, a little bit more than a half of moon was in the high in the sky And the eastern horizon was stretching and waking up. It was about 6.30 and uh, time to get moving. As I pulled up to where I was going to do my good gardening stroll, upreaching branches say, brr, it's cold. And the hydrangeas, which are planted below, say, yes, it is. The Tums building across the street says, yes, it is cold. The sign on the window says, authenticated game-used merchandise available. Etch bricks. Part of the walkway were dedicated to people who gave money and donations. The crosswalk signal says, Wait, 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 wait. And where is this? Well, it's near Ballpark Village, where the construction continues. And where was it really? Well, it is at gate number six, the right field side of Bush Stadium, which is the east side. A banner of a player making a throw. It looks like probably a shortstop or a third baseman throwing to first base. It says, uh, it's time to fly. There's some pansies planted in the raised brick bed spaces. They were going, ooh, we're cool season annuals, but uh, it is cool. We need to get some water. And they are dry. Yes, it is baseball season, so... At least spring training season. So tune into KMOX and listen to see what happens as the Cardinals build up for the 2020 season. Like Mother KMOX Garden Hotline, if you have any questions or concerns, 314 436. 7900 or one 800 Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or one 800 When you call in, Cole will answer, and all you need to do is give him your first name and where you're calling from. And let's start off with uh, Marcia, and she lives in Kirkwood. Hi, Marcia.
4: Hi. I've got three questions about
5: trees. I need a recommendation for a shade tree that grows about 20 to 30 feet that doesn't have nasty little seeds that come off of it. (laughs) And then I want to know if there are any trees that can be planted close to a driveway without buckling the concrete. And then third, where do you go to buy trees? Are there tree farms around, or what's the best suggestion?
2: Well, probably uh... With the trees, I would say just any year-round nursery because most of them are going to get – they're not growing the trees necessarily themselves, but they're all getting them from probably the same production nurseries. So then the big box garden centers, uh, early in the season, they may be okay, but I prefer to you know use the year-round type nurseries because the staff is a little bit better and whatever else it happens to be. And as far as uh, trees close to driveways and stuff, how close are we talking about
4: Probably about five to
2: six feet. That's pretty tight, and uh, I mean, impact-wise, uh, I'd probably look at something maybe along the lines of uh, some type of magnolia. Okay. Because they have you know a lot of uh, surface rooting, but it's fibrous surface rooting. So it's not all trees have surface rooting because that's where the feeder roots are. So that would be probably maybe if you want something earlier blooming, I'd look at the uh, star magnolia, which is the one that blooms earliest in the spring. If you want something that blooms in the summertime, the sweet bay magnolia, which blooms in the summertime and has a fragrance. Okay. And as far as trees that don't produce any kind of fruits or anything at all, that's kind of, uh, there's not too many that are going to be that way. So. Well,
5: any shade trees then? 20 to 30 feet that you like?
2: Uh, probably, I would look, uh, if you want something with colorful foliage, maybe the Japanese maple. Okay. And uh, is this in full sun, or is this in a shaded, partial shade, or whatever it happens to be? Part shade. Part shade. I And also maybe look at something called a tricolor beech, b e e, b e e c h, and just take a look at it. It's got a very colorful leaf. It's pro- It's quite slow-growing. And in a part-shaded location, it should do fine.
4: Okay. Well, thank you very much.
2: Certainly. My pleasure. All right. And now let's head from Kirkwood into South City and go into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary.
4: Hi. I uh, have a problem. I had a tree stump in my backyard. <clears throat> and now I found I have a 10-foot square area where there's no grass. <coughs> And I found I have termites. What do I do? What can I put down to get rid of these termites? Because I think they're eating my grass.
2: Uh, termites really don't eat grass. Oh, they don't? No. So, the roots? Yeah. <coughs> the, the, the roots that are left over from the tree stump, that's where the problem comes in. I don't know when the tree was taken down. But oh, about the, 10 years ago. Oh, really? So yeah. uh, And there's still some stump left?
4: Well, no, the termites ate the stump. I just dug around it and <laughs> or, found a whole bunch of these little ants, but I decided they're not ants or termites. Yeah,
2: well, I would probably, if you're worried about them, I would say bring, you know, get a professional service to come out and take a look at it and see what they need to do. But there really shouldn't be a whole lot of termite activity. You know, they're, I mean, they're, they should be long gone. So to me, they may be termites, but they may not be. But just have somebody come out and take a look at them. Is
4: there something I can put on my ground that will grow
2: grass? (laughs) There's probably a lot of just, like, old dead root systems there, and even though it's a 10-year-old root system wood, that's probably what the problem is. So it's, you know, that's, you know, if you haven't had anything growing, are you not getting any weeds growing in this spot or anything? No. Wow. I I know. Yeah, there's something that's contaminated the ground there uh uh-huh. Because if, I mean, weeds can pretty much grow anywhere. And if you're not getting anything at all to grow there, you know, get, have somebody come out professionally and take a look at what the, this insect problem is. But it's probably not related at all to, you know, the reason why you can't grow grass in this spot. And th- then also get, you know, a lawn expert to come out and take a look and find out what's going on there. It may be, you know, I can't imagine what it is to me. It has to be, so, was there ever grass growing there?
4: Yes. Yes, really? I had beautiful uh, bluegrass, hmm. and now it's all gone.
2: Yeah, because usually tree roots, you know, should implode within about maximum seven years. And uh-huh. then it, then there's going to be some, let's say, dead wood that's laying underneath there. So, you know, my guess is probably related to that. So it probably needs to be turned over heavily, duty, maybe some compost added to it, and then, you know, try some sod or grass seed.
4: Okay, All right. Thank you.
2: Certainly. Yeah, that's a 10-year-old tree that's been removed. Wow. Usually the impact is lots in sooner than that. But anyway, you never know. Everybody's yard is completely different. Let's go into this county and go into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike.
6: Morning. How are you, sir? Very good. Uh, I have a question. I have a reoccurring depression in my yard, and it seems like I fill it, and within a year it's kind of depressed again. So I was wondering how you would recommend treating that.
2: Uh, probably I would, there's got to be something that's underneath there. Is there any kind of pipes, anything at all in that area?
6: Nothing I'm aware of.
2: Because, I mean, that's the only thing that could cause it. There has to be erosion below the ground that would cause it to keep sinking like that. hmm And so I would get to, you know, maybe one of the utilities to come out and take a look. Probably like, you know, the water, the sewers, something along that line. Because mm-hmm. it, it's got to be related to that. I see. And... Ultimately, you, just to, let's say, fill in, a you know, let's say, a low spot and not blend it in with the existing soil is going to be somewhat counterproductive because especially from the sounds of what's happening in your yard, it, there's something eroding the, you know, the soil underneath, and that's why it keeps you know, sinking.
6: I see. Now, for filling that back in, what do you recommend?
2: I would probably, ultimately, if you get the problem fixed... Then they're going to probably have to dig down there, do something to that spot. And then when they backfill it, then get some like a topsoil compost mix, mix it in with the existing soil. And then, you know, that's what I would do. And probably make it an inch or two higher than the surrounding ground. That way, when there is some settling, it should settle about at ground level.
6: And when you put that mix in there, should you tamp it down?
2: Uh, You don't necessarily need to tamp it, but you need to get it blended together. And that's why I'm saying put extra, you know, an inch or two. That way there's air pockets in there and everything else. And then it'll, you know, will settle because there's air pockets there. If you tamp it down, sometimes that creates highly compacted soil and that makes it very difficult to grow anything in that spot.
6: I see. Now, I've also read, uh, I don't know if it's just one of those urban tales, so to speak, but. Taking landscaping cloth at the bottom of the hole before you fill it, which will allow the water to flow through, but will keep this the dirt from uh, eroding. Is that correct?
2: No, not really. No. Uh, I mean, it's you know you're just you're it would be some a, more or less a cosmetic fix. It's not really going to fix the problem. Problem's deeper down.
6: All right. Well, thank you for the information. Appreciate Certainly.
2: It. Yeah. I, and now let's head over to Mary. And this Mary lives in Crestwood. Hi, Mary.
5: Good morning. Hi. Happy Sunday. It's, uh, <laughs> nice to see the sun. I have an area that is wet. I lost two um, two-year-old dogwoods there from the rain, I think, in the spring. It's kind of a natural slope. Not a slope, but it, the water just flows there. So I wanted to build it up and plant something there. I've got two hydrangeas that are just kind of piddling along. You had mentioned the tricolored beach. Would that do well in the wet soil there?
2: No, it won't.
5: Okay. And then so I wanted to add some soil. So you said to get a top a top topsoil compost mix. Would right. And like mix it with the place?
2: existing soil. But if this is a wet spot, you might think about just planting things that can handle a wet soil. Is this okay. a big is this a big area or is this a little area? It's along the fence, it's probably twenty feet. Twenty feet by twenty feet?
5: Right. I would probably well, maybe no, I don't need to go out twenty feet, it's just maybe eight feet. Okay. I mean I can go out into the yard as much as I want. Right. I would I've probably, got a holly that i planted that's doing okay in, in a, um, a magnolia service berry. Not service berry, but sweet magnolia. Right, doing which okay. can take
2: a wet soil. There's also, I mean, the inkberry is, you know, the holly you're probably talking about that can handle a wet soil. Because, you know, you could have something along that line. If you want something a little bit more colorful, look at the red twig dogwood which okay. is a type of shrub dogwood, which the branches, it's a shrub, so it'll have a lot of branches that are bright red, and then in the, get a variegated one. So in the summertime, the leaves will be more or less white, pale green okay. and white. And then in the wintertime, when those leaves fall off, then you just see red twigs sticking up.
5: Okay, because the regular dogwood didn't do. Right, those, this is, a, red this twig is a
2: tree, you know, I mean, this is a shrub that can handle a wet soil.
5: And what about the winterberry? Those look pretty nice.
2: Yeah. Either, I yeah. mean, that would work very well too.
5: And then I just wanted to build it up just a little bit. So just get—is it? Do they sell bags of that compost out in Valley Park? Yes, that would be soil and and uh, compost.
2: Compost mix. Well, if they, you know, if they don't, if they're just selling the compost, just get the compost and mix it in with the existing soil.
5: Okay, so just dig it up and add it together. And put
2: right. It Make sure you get a nice blend.
5: Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly,
2: my pleasure. Okay. Bye. And let's go now to Katie. Katie lives in St. Louis. Hi, Katie.
7: Hi. Um, I have two questions. First, I have some hydrangeas that just are big, beautiful bushes, but they never bloom. Um, so, when should I fertilize those, and what should I fertilize those with to get them to bloom? And all the fer- vert-
2: all the hydrangeas like an acidic soil, so you use an acidic fertilizer. But how old are these? Oh gosh. They've never bloomed. They've never bloomed? I would say get rid of Oh,
1: really?
2: Yeah. Because if they've never bloomed, then there's something wrong wrong. with that particular variety or whatever it happens to be. But, uh, you know, just if you like the hydrangeas, just, you know, go and get, you know, to a a year-round garden center and get good quality hydrangeas, whether you want oak leaf hydrangea. Whether you want a forever variety, which blooms a couple times during the summertime, or whatever it happens to be. Or if you just want a spring-blooming one, then get the PG hydrangea. Oh,
7: okay. That sounds good. Yeah. And my second question is, I have, um, I had four beautiful New Guinea patients. They were just blooming and gorgeous all summer, last summer. And I couldn't bear to let them die, so I brought them in and tried to overwinter them. <laughs> and one by one, they just died. Right. Um, and I'm on the last one now is there any
2: hope for overwintering, um, the guinea invasion? Uh, basically no. Oh. Uh-huh. They just don't like it inside regardless of whatever the circumstances. I mean, you can read this stuff and, you know, put it in a room with a bright window. That's, you know, the temperature's never going to get bl- above this and that and everything else, but they just don't do well inside. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the truth hurts, but, uh, I've just never, you know, I mean, they even have a difficult time, even professional growers to have them, you know, in the greenhouses in the wintertime. When you go in there, you're not going to see any New Guinean patients because they don't do well during the wintertime. Daylight, the amount of daylight, the temperature wise, I mean, they can adjust everything, but they're just not going to have them. Let's head out to Lake St. Louis and go into Jane's yard. Hi, Jane.
4: Good morning, Mike. Hi. I think I know the answer to my question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. With all the warm weather of late, I have, uh, seems like almost all of my bulbs have about four inches of foliage peeking up above the mulch. hmm What's going to happen? Do I need to do anything?
2: Well, it's too late now because we've had that severe cold. So right. go out there and take a look at them to see if there was any cold damage from these last two days. But and we'll the cold damage—the cold damage—is just going to make the, let's say, the tips of the foliage look brown, and but it doesn't impact the bloom at all.
5: Okay. Okay. That's
4: what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just hang in there. Right. Thanks so much.
2: And just you know, wait for another week or so, and then make sure everybody. We always think of, you know, t- daffodils, tulips, or crocus, or whatever it happens to be, any of these spring flowering bulbs, they don't really need any fertilizer, but it really helps them. Just get some all-purpose fertilizer and do it about half, you know, half bag rate. If you get a grain in our type, make sure you water it in, and um, that will help them, you know, longevity factor-wise. With tulips, it's not going to make that much difference, but with daffodils, crocus, grape hyacinths, and all the rest of those spring flowering bulbs, that will make a difference.
4: Okay, you're, should I put that on now? Uh, I
2: would, you might, you probably could, you know, it wouldn't be a problem. Just make sure you water it in because you wanted it to get down through your mulch and everything, and you don't want it just to sit on the foliage because fertilizer sitting on the foliage of any type can burn a hole in it.
8: Yeah, okay.
2: Thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure.
7: Okay, bye-bye.
2: And now let's go to Florence. Florence lives in West County. Hi, Florence.
7: Hi, how are you? Good. Yes, I live in Wisconsin with about 10,000 deer, and they're eating everything in my yard, all my hostas, all my flowers. And um, uh, the only thing I found last year that they did not eat were vincas. But do you have any suggestion of what other kind of flowers I can put in the yard that the deer will not bother?
2: Basically, the deer don't like anything that's fuzzy, but unfortunately, it sounds like from the type of plants that you've been growing that you have a very shaded yard. And so, consequently, uh, there's not a whole lot of things that are fuzzy that grow in the shade. So, uh-huh.
7: well, are, are there any plants that repel here?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> but what you might try, I don't know how big your yard is or anything else. Uh, the thing I found the most effective, yes, there are repellents that you can put down, but Irish spring, hanging bars of Irish Spring Soap, might you might give that a try and see what happens. Oh, my gosh. Someone just told me that. Yeah, the smell is really a little bit horrendous, and the deer don't like it. So what it's going to do is just make them shift their – because they get into such routines and habits, they'll come back and back and back and back to the same place because it's easy to get food. And that's why it's kind of like us going to a grocery store. We go to the grocery store because it's very convenient, and they're doing the very same thing.
7: That's amazing. So how do I hang them? Do I hang them on a string on the fence? Yeah, can you I could
2: do it to? that way. Just make sure you kind of hang them, you know, in a couple different locations. You can tell where they're coming into your yard. Hang it, you know, further down and, you know, just dot a few here and there in every place.
7: They just walk up to the fence and jump over. <laughs> it's
2: amazing. And you might, well, you know... Thanks. And, you know, get, you know, go to your favorite garden center and see what kind of repellents they have too. So you might want to do a combination of things.
7: Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah. you very much.
2: But unfortunately, you're probably, you know, I mean, if they're hungry, they're going to come in anyway. So. But that's kind of how it is. Mike Miller, Garden Hotline. If you have questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're heading out to Ellisville, where I grew up as a kid uh, from first grade all the way through high school. And that's where Tom lives. Hi, Tom
9: morning, Mike. I'm just going to give you a heads up. Like the lady that called you about deer, you get calls from people all the time about critters, whether they're birds or rabbits or squirrels or uh, chipmunks. I was walking the dog last night around our common ground, and we had a partner on the trail. It was an armadillo.
10: (laughs) Ah.
9: And I understand that, you know, they're normally nocturnal. Eat bugs and stuff that are in the grass. That means they're going to tear up your yard at night, and you're not going to know what did it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's very true. <laughs>
9: so you're going to get calls this, this uh, spring and summer about something's tearing up my yard, and I have no idea. It's right. probably an armadillo.
2: It could be certainly that. You know, skunks will do the same thing. They'll rut because they're looking for insects just below the surface on your lawn. Yeah.
9: yeah. Just a heads up, Mike. All right.
2: Thanks a lot. Greatly appreciate it. Yeah, the armadillo is certainly moving north. You know, It's just amazing. I never thought they'd come this far north, but you never know. Let's go over to Chester, Illinois, and see what's going on in Steve's yard. Hi, Steve.
9: Hi there. How are you today? Very good. Hey, uh, I've been looking in these garden books and stuff, and they're showing a blue wisteria tree. The flowers are real blue on it. Is that possible?
2: It is, but it's not. It is a hybrid, so consequently, that means it's not quite as you know, let's say, vigorous or strong as the wisteria just is in general.
9: Okay. Uh, I also have some Japanese maple here at the house that are just still full of leaves; they haven't felt fell off yet. Is that normal?
2: No, it isn't. But I've you know I've seen quite a few maples, not just necessarily Japanese maples. But uh that are you know, I've got a sugar maple right outside our kitchen window. It's probably still holding on to about fifteen percent of its leaves, so just uh-huh. something, something screwy with the weather and everything else I don't know why they haven't defoliated, but uh so yeah. I wouldn't you know be overly concerned, but if some of the ones, especially the ones that kind of look like an umbrella, so in other words, a shorter one that gets really wide, they'll have a tendency to hold on to their leaves and you know through the entire winter time. But the ones that are taller, like the blood good, those varieties, they should drop their leaves.
9: Uh Uh-huh. Do you think that uh, blue wisteria would be a good tree to buy?
2: Well, it's going to be, you know, it's It's kind of aggressive. So it's really a vine. Even though they're going to sell it, let's say, as a tree because they've pruned it as a tree, it's going to, you know, it has a potential to start going all over the place.
9: Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's what I need her to know. Thank you very much.
2: Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, the wisterias uh, can be a very, very aggressive, you know, vine plant. So I'm assuming that this particular one, the reason why they're calling it a wisteria tree is because it's just a tree, you know, a vine trunk that they've pruned to make it look like a tree. And now let's go up to Louisiana and into Michelle's yard. Hi, Michelle.
4: Hi. Um. I have a question about some peonies. I had four of them that were in a row, and they were all doing well. So I made the mistake of trying to transplant two of them, and they all died. So so, um, what's the best time if I want to replant them, and uh, what's the recommendation for peonies?
2: With a with the peony, just in general, the little eyes that look like potato eyes, you want to have those about an inch or so below the surface. If you plant them too deep, then they're going to just push up foliage and they'll not flower for you whatsoever. And as far as availability, that's when you can plant them. So springtime is by far the best time to plant. And they, when you dig them up, they, what you have to do is, because the root systems are very brittle, when you dig them up. So you have to dig them up and kind of just leave them sit for a couple of days until the root system gets a little bit more viable and then you can re you know replant it in a new location. But as far again as far as it just has to be a well-drained soil, full sun and with the eyes just an inch or so below the surface. Okay, thank you so much. Certainly, my pleasure. Uh-huh. Yeah, the peonies are great. They're wonderful. In some of the old-time varieties, the, the problem is, you know, they bloom, It last for about a week or so, and then that's kind of pretty much it. Uh, but uh, my, my mother loved them. We had one side of our uh, foundation was filled with peonies. I think they were from my great-grandmother. I'm not exactly sure. I don't even know if they're still there. I think one of my brothers may have dug them up and took them to his house. But anyway, let's go now to Oakville and into Rick's yard. Hi, Rick.
11: Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, we Last spring, we got three dogs, and basically my yard has now turned into a mud pit. Right. And so we're trying to figure out the best thing to do. Um, I've gotten several bids on um, getting Meyer's Zoytia put down, but then also somebody said that we should do a combination of Fescue and Meyer's um as a possibility. We also talked to people about doing the synthetic um, astroturf, turf, but that's very expensive. So right. I was just calling to get, get your opinion.
2: You're never going to get grass to grow if you have three dogs. I don't care what okay. blend it is or anything else. It's impossible. So okay. you're, you're going to have you know isolated patches maybe where they don't, let's say, run as much. But the soil compaction as well as the chemistry of them going to the bathroom and everything else, that's where the real problem is. If I was going to try to do anything at all, I might give us, you know, the idea of using Dutch white clover as a ground cover. But for the most part, you're not going to have any kind of successful grass regardless of what's being done.
11: Okay, that Dutch white, so it's driving my wife crazy because they go outside in the mud and then they come back in and they're sure. covered with mud. Right. Would the Dutch white clover be able to survive um, their running around
2: and stuff? Well, the reason why I'm saying that is because clover can you know, grow where, uh, let's say, cows are and things along that line. So it's still going to have a really difficult time. I mean, in reality, the, you know, to you know, cordon off a certain part of the yard so you can have successful lawn if you want it. But then where the dogs run, they're going to get muddy. There's no getting around it. And they're going to come in with muddy paws or you're going to have to, you know, make them all stop and wipe their feet off and everything else. But you're just going to have a situation where you're never really going to have, uh, you know, a circumstance where you're not going to have mud.
11: Okay. I mean, in reality. Okay. All right.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Unfortunately, the AstroTurf, that would be the only way. But like you say, it's very expensive. And it's not, uh, I mean, putting it down. I actually have a design client who for years was battling his lawn, and he actually went ahead and got the AstroTurf and put it on his front yard. So if anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, KNY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Somebody called about the the foliage on our spring flowering bulbs, you know, related to cold and everything else. And I explained that, you know, the cold may do some damage to the foliage, but it's really not going to impact the flowering. Other things that would be blooming this time of year, bulb-wise, the winter aconite, crocus, Dutch bulb iris. Snowdrops and the grape hyacinths will be blooming a little bit later. And woody plant-wise, there's a pink-flowering almond, yellow Cornelian cherry, the white star magnolia, and the witch hazel. So those are things not necessarily going to be blooming right now, but within the next couple of weeks. Let's head out to Union, Missouri, and go into Joyce's yard. Hi, Joyce.
12: Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I listen to your show as often as I can, and I've gotten a lot of information from it. Um I want to comment on the guy who just called and said he can't grow grass because he's got three dogs. Right. I've had three dogs and sometimes four, and I have not had a problem growing grass. I just take really good care of it and keep it watered and uh um, you know, weed it and do everything you're supposed to do to it, follow what you do. And I haven't had a problem. It's just fescue, you know, what they recommend for this area.
2: Right, the K31 fescue, the tough one.
12: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there, there are a couple trees right at by the back of my yard, some oak trees that the roots come into the yard. And luckily, they're, I guess they don't, they're not close enough for the whole yard. Right. I can grow grass. So I just wanted to make that comment, and then I wanted to say, and I heard you say this a hundred times, and I can't remember now, is potting mix or potting soil better?
2: Potting mix is by far the best. Potting okay. soil is, gets too soggy and too wet.
12: Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I'm ready to repot some things, and I wanted to make sure I had it right. Thank you very much, Burr. For- everything
2: certainly my pleasure yeah you that's great if you're able to uh you know to keep your grass growing and if dog wise as far as size goes and everything else that's you know that can have an impact because the compaction you know as they run back and forth and especially if there's any kind of fence they're running along that type thing uh, but uh sounds like you've had some great luck so it's a it shows how dedicated you are to your landscape so, again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Indoor-wise, your houseplants, if any of them are starting to show decline, it might be the time to just kind of say goodbye. But that doesn't, you don't necessarily have to do that. But especially watch out about overwatering. Because, you know, as the days get longer, we think, well, the, the plant's a little bit wilted, whether it's a philodendron, whether it's a whether it's a Dracaena or anything else. And you go, it's wilted, so maybe it needs more water. Watch out. Underwater by far more so than overwater. Anything that's in flower this time of year, uh, go ahead and fertilize it, but fertilize it with half the label rate. Don't fertilize it with a full label rate because... It's just going to be a waste of time and effort and, you know, and money on your part. And as far as, uh, you know, the potting mix versus the potting soil, potting mix is very, when you pick up the bag, it's very light. Potting soil is very heavy and it's dense. And that's why you don't want to use that for basically house houseplants. Uh, we've been fairly lucky as far as, you know, rain goes and everything else. But still, it's still wintertime, and if we get a, a period of three weeks or so without an inch or so of rain, and you do have evergreen trees and shrubs, they would certainly appreciate you getting some moisture on them. It was just like I was talking about those pansies that were down by Bush Stadium. The, the potting, the soil that they were growing in down there looked uh, hmm, looked pretty dry, so they would probably appreciate getting some water. And also, your summer bulbs, just give them a check and see how they are doing it doing and another thing that you need to be thinking about too is go out and look and see if there's been any new leaves piling up in any part of your landscape because you move those leaves a little bit, rake them, get rid of them. There's probably a high volume of moisture in that situation where they were sitting, and that's gonna create a you know a fungus problem that's really something you got to watch out for. And, um, summer bloomers, you're really kind of desperate, gray winter, and we're really kind of tired of it. But if you have, uh, let's say spring flowering things in your landscape, like forsythia or something like that, you can go out and just take a cutting of that, you know, of the tree or the shrub forsythia shrub, uh, one foot cutting, bring it inside and put it in a glass of water or in a vase or whatever it happens to be. And, um. you'll probably be surprised in a couple of weeks, you're going to see forsythia blooms inside your house. And probably another week or so after that, you're going to see them in the outside. So that's a nice thing too. be sure and get a soil test done. And especially if you've had a history of using the same fertilizer over and over and over again, year in, year out, whether it's on your lawn, whether you're doing it, whether you're having a professional company do it, because extravagant levels of any kind of nutrients can be a detrimental impact to your your soil in general, and consequently to anything that you're trying to grow. So the soil test will indicate, yes, you have too much of this, you don't have enough of that. Then you can make adjustments accordingly because it is d- very difficult to grow anything here anyway. But if you've got a situation where the soil is not the best, then it's going to be even more difficult as a result of that. As I said earlier in the hour, uh, this is the time of year to get a tree service to come in and do a dormant oil spray. A dormant oil spray doesn't impact any kind of foliage or anything else but what it does is suffocate in any kind of basically any kind of life you know stage of an insect whether it's eggs, whether it's larvae, whether it's adults or anything else. So February is a time when the Missouri Botanical Garden does a dormant oil spray and they pretty much spray all their trees. And uh that's just it just makes good common sense. Let's head out to Lori's and Lori lives in St. Peters. Hi Lori.
10: Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you. Um I have a question. Last fall I was having problems in my flower garden with voles, with a v. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Mel and got some of the green pellets and constantly was trying to poison them to death. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it took. And I was wondering what I can do this spring to hopefully, I don't know if they're still in the ground alive, but I don't want any voles in my garden this year.
2: Right. <laughs> Understand, voles are really lazy. So what they do is generally they use old tunnels that moles have actually created. But voles do a real – yeah. I mean, they do some major damage to your root systems or your plant material. Yes, so I know. <laughs> watch, you know, watch out and make sure that you – if you've got mole tunnels there, like I said, moles don't eat plant material for the most part. They eat insects. They're, you know, whatever kind of insect, mainly the earthworms, but they eat anything else that they come across. And the voles, when those tunnels have been abandoned, that's what they had and used to get underneath root systems and chew on the roots of the plant material. So watch out for both of them because there's no way to necessarily get rid of just the voles because they're using somebody else's tunnel. They're too lazy to dig a tunnel themselves.
10: Ah, yeah, because I had one that came out one morning when I was in my garden, and I got a shovel and kind of like smashed it to death. <laughs> and had, had, had a neighbor come over. This guy said, "Can you pick this bowl up? I can't pick it up in my <laughs> husband's <laughs> church, and I don't want to handle." And I thought maybe I could hang it up over the top of the garden to warn the other bowls. This is what could happen to you if you come out. <laughs> so I don't know if I just should start throwing pellets down like when stuff starts blooming.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean a preventative type thing. Again, just watch for the the mole tunnels, because that's what they're going to be using. And also you can watch for, they usually have a tendency to nest underneath shrubs or underneath porches or, you know, something along that line. And just watch for the tunnel, you know, the holes coming up out of the ground. They'll be a little, they'll be kind of like a little bit smaller than a ping pong ball. And there should be two different holes and, you know, take a look underneath your shrubs or anything else because that's where they're living and they just use the tunnels to go eat.
10: Okay, yeah, because I, I I seen kind of like the tunnels in my garden. That's where I would throw those pellets in. And I thought, well, I'm going to get some smoke bombs from Fourth <laughs> of July, throw those at whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe hanging that dead body would have done some good, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your show. Really appreciate it. Well, Every week It's a joy. Well, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having
2: me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. And also, uh, you know, way back when in the 1800s, they used to trap moles, get moles, dig them up or whatever, and they'd skin them and make coats out of them. If you can imagine how many moles it would take to make a coat, that's absolutely incredible. Other critters that you need to be watching out for. Actually, when I was walking back from the store the other day, I saw, hmm some squirrels had been, you know, a squirrel had been digging, you know, there's acorns in the park right across the street, so they probably brought some an acorn over and planted it. So when a squirrel digs, he only goes down about a three or four inches, then backpacks, you know, whatever he puts in there, which is usually going to be an acorn. So understand that that's, you know, watch out for that activity as well as the skunks and squirrels and raccoons and everything else. So if you have questions for the next hour, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you after the news. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline, tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314- 436-7900 or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with your ideas questions concerns or comments and mr Kelly before you take off yes are you go, <laughs> I saw you're heading towards the door so you can go no, I leave. just
3: was waiting. Uh, <laughs> just wait
2: you know we talk about feeding birds yeah you, you yeah. enjoyed a lot oh yeah and you got this you know fancy Smancy feeders and everything else see I get thistle seed, and I just throw it on the ground
3: and that works yeah yeah they, they'll lead it off the ground do you ever do soot? No, I haven't. I used to. I've done it before, but I just stick with these with just the basics the now. Seeds. And again, it's funny because the other day, the the I have four finch feeders, three finch feeders, and they were completely empty, untouched for a day or two. Wow! And then yesterday morning, I think it was, they were loaded, all of them. So I, some days they they come by and eat, and other days they're I guess they're okay. <laughs> I don't know.
2: It probably if they can sense the weather. I yeah, would use, I think
3: so. You know, yeah, when it when it's gonna get bad, they they flood. Exactly. No doubt about it. Right. Yeah. So oh, great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
2: All right, enjoy. Yes, folks, and by the way, thanks for having me on your show, where we can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs related to annuals. As I said, outside Bush Stadium, they've got some pansies that. Uh, you know, don't look great, but uh, pansies are going to be just erupting in the garden centers if, you know, in another couple weeks, and your bulbs, your edibles, your ground covers, your houseplants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts and ideas, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to consider. And across the big board is Cole. He will be answering the phone. So when you call, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting. And that's when I come to your home and we can talk about aesthetics. We can talk about problem solving. We can talk about plant you know, alternatives, all those kind of things. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage. That's where my email is. Is And my phone number as well. And we'll, I can come to your home and do a walk and talk. As I said last hour, I'm headed to Overland after the show today. And when I come to your home, I'll share about 40 plus years of experience starting off at the Botanical Garden after went to school in uh, California, came back to St. Louis and uh, Botanical Garden and all kinds of other stuff since then. And uh, tip of the trowel, special recognition for individual, group, or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This is kind of a special anniversary for me this weekend, Valentine's weekend. In 1998, Bill Reeker of the news department used to co-host the show. And in 1998, February you know 14th or 15th, I forget exactly which day it was, I had a grand mal epileptic seizure while I was answering somebody's question. And uh, so things, you know, I didn't even know I had epilepsy. I was having petite seizures prior to that. I found out later on it was related to a medication that I was actually taking. But uh, so it made a huge impact on me. I still take medication that's anti-epileptic. So I take it uh, four times, four, let's say tablets or pills, or whatever you want to call it, every day. So the tip of the trial goes out to all the neurology departments and everybody who helps somebody like me, who just sort of fell off the chair when I was answering a question on the garden hotline and uh, got zipped to the hospital and uh, (sighs) found out I had epilepsy. So crazy stuff. And so the neurology department tip of the trial to you guys for not only me but for everybody else that you help and now every year I have to go back to the neurology department and uh, have them check me out So that's who gets the tip of the trial today let's get another let's get a couple phone calls in before we take a break let's go over to Belleville and Julie how are you today
13: hi great Mike thank you so much and We appreciate you so much and so glad that you're on the air. You are super smart. (laughs) Um, My my question is, uh, we also have a yard with a big dog, 110 pounds, and has more shade than sun. And that K31 fescue, how soon can we put that down?
2: Well, first of all, K31 needs to be in full sun, to be honest with you.
13: Oh, okay. So
2: All that's right. pretty and much what, every, you, I mean, even shade, you know, shade tolerant grass seed is very narrow bladed and is very weak. So it wouldn't be able to handle this, you know, the situation of what you're dealing with. And if you've got right. a dog that big, and I'm assuming it's in a fenced yard, and so it's,
13: it's not a fenced yard, but he does pretty much stay in the, you know, in the backyard when he is out.
2: Right. So, I mean, you're lucky that he does, but just, you know, even if he's not running back and forth along a fence or anything else, just the compaction of the soil, and then whenever he goes to the bathroom, that adds an impact to it. But the K31 wouldn't be successful for you, you know, in a part-shade situation whatsoever. So Okay. What do you
5: suggest?
2: (laughs) I would say... (laughs) just get all kinds of different seed, all kinds of clover, all kinds of weeds or whatever and just throw it out there and see what happens. Okay. I mean, all right, we'll do. Cuz I mean, if you get let's say shade tolerant type ground covers like ivies or periwinkle or something along those lines, uh to get it established, it's going to be difficult because the shade is created by trees I'm assuming and then consequently the ground cover is going to have a difficult time then you add the dog on top of that. You may just be spinning your wheels, spending a lot of mental money and real money, and the end result's not going to be any different. Right,
13: right. So maybe the Dutch white
2: clover? Give it a try. I mean, it does really prefer, you know, to be in a situation where it's in sun, but uh, I would say just try anything and see what happens. And maybe just a combination, you know, one spot will be this, one spot will be that, So just so you're not fanatical. Okay.
13: Our...
2: Switch it over to a rain garden, I'm thinking. Right. Exactly.
13: All right. Thank you so much. You take care now.
2: Yep, you do the very same thing. And now let's head out to Manchester and see what's going on with Vern. Vern, how are you? I'm doing
14: good, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Good luck with working with the neurologist. My neurologist and I are very good friends now. Great. I I have a redbud tree. And it has some branches that have such splits, and I believe they're from locusts, in them. Do I need to, if that's true, do they need to be trimmed off, these branches? And how how do you treat for uh, locusts? I think they're laying their eggs in there. Yeah, what they
2: can do is they can rut and then lay eggs in there. If the If the branch is still healthy and pushing out you know flower and then consequently putting out foliage, I'd say just leave them alone. I wouldn't bother okay. and it, and then if you do if you you know if you suspect it is you know the locust cicadas or whatever it happens to be uh, most of the insecticides have to be contact killers so you got to go out there and spray them directly onto the insects
14: oh. okay, well, thank you very much Mike.
2: Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, that's the insecticides. I mean, there are some systemics that are a little bit effective, but for something like cicadas or locusts, I mean, that's uh, probably the rutting and everything else is problematic. But again, if the branch looks healthy, if it's still doing, you know, it's not dying or anything and you're still getting leaves and flowers then I would say just leave it alone. Mike Miller, Wash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Just remember, remember, folks, there are two different kinds of weeds. No, actually, there's more than two, but I mean two major types, perennial and annual type. Now, there's annual cool-season weeds, and there's annual warm-season weeds. So start watching out because when the forsythia is in bloom, which is a yellow-flowering shrub, you need to put the pre-emergent down and what that does is create a chemical barrier on the surface. And when those warm season weeds start germinating, it kills them immediately. What are some of the types of warm season weeds? Well, spurge, purslane, uh, ragweed, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes, carpet weed, black medic, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, all kinds of different stuff as well. So. Just remember, when that happens, you can really save yourself a lot of grief by putting a pre-emergent down. Let's head over to Illinois and go into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello. Hi.
9: I've got a question about raised garden beds. Okay. I uh, well, I built one, but I'm going to build another one for strawberries. And what what do you put in the in the beds? What the the Dirt, the dirt or fill or
2: whatever—basically a, a nice organic compost mix, mix of topsoil and compost with the with the existing soil. So, what you want to do is measure the square footage, figure out how much you know square footage you have, and then you know go to wherever you're going to purchase you know your topsoil, compost, or whatever you decide to mix into the ground. And you're going to put in a, two inches at a time, mix it in with the existing soil, then add two more inches. And so I don't know how high you want to really make it, but any well, place. Uh, I'm,
9: I'm, made, I'm the first one. I made four foot because that's about where I reach. And this one I'm <laughs> so, going to make three foot.
2: Yeah, so I mean, uh, so you're going to have to, you know, get quite a bit of material. So, but uh, yeah, just mix. Make sure that you make a nice blend with the existing, you know, the existing soil. Even though it's so high, the root systems of your strawberries will probably never get down into the ground. Still, you want to make sure that it's not compacted underneath.
9: Okay. Well, on the first one, I, I went over by the barn. We had some uh, manure pile there; it was, you know, pretty old. Mm-hmm. I used that, and then on the on the top, I put. Some, we got a sawmill, and I had some old sawdust there, and I put that on top, and. Uh, that didn't i, I didn't I, I it i didn't get it done till like July, so I put some like some green beans in it, and they weren't doing too well so i I gave them some fertilizer and they they did real well that way
2: yeah definitely any kind of or you know any kind of edible type things definitely needs fertilizer beyond you know good quality soil so anything that you have that's organic like that, that as long as it's aged you should be fine using that.
9: Okay, uh, I, I thought about going over to cross the bridge there and getting that uh, compost mm-hmm. and putting on top. Is that just to put it on top of the sawdust?
2: Well, I would, I would mix it in. Okay. I wouldn't just, I just wouldn't layer it on top. So you, we want to make sure that you have, you know, it's kind of like you know mixing anything in a blender. If you don't blend it just right, it's not going to work, whether you're making a milkshake, whether you're making a cocktail or anything else. You got to, you know, it's going to be to the advantage of whatever, you know, with the drink, obviously, it's the taste-wise, but for the plant material, a good blending is going to be to the advantage of the plant material.
9: Okay. Well, thank, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure.
2: And anybody else, questions or concerns, 314- 436-7900 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. So uh, we've got phone lines open. Let's head now to Crystal, Crystal City and go into Scott yard. Hi, Scott. How
15: are you Mike? Hi. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, go I, ahead. Uh, first of all, I wanted to call about the seizures. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i sorry about that to interrupt the, uh, the garden questions and stuff, but uh, my... Uh, I already had brain surgery for the uh, for the seizures before, but it didn't work and they got me on Anfi and VINPAT and a couple other different medicines, but uh I'm gonna have to go back in there to SLU and I'm gonna supposed to have another operation, another a uh, they're gonna have somebody in my room this time instead of a sleep study, they're gonna do this where it reads out right away but uh I understand i'm i'm sorry I'm sorry about that because I know exactly what that's like, but uh my one question gardening question is i have I have done everything to rip out the vines away from the garage, but they'll still grow they keep growing. Is there anything that's safe that I could spray down there that will kill the roots and oh. that's all. Sir?
2: Yeah, basically, I mean so the systemic type. You know what type of weed it is
15: as far as the vine I mean, it's, goes. It's just a, it's just a, like a one of those vines that grow up wide alongside of it, where you pull it off and it leaves a mark on the uh, garage. Ooh. itself.
2: it probably it's probably you know it could be a couple different types, but the best thing to do if you don't want to you know, use any kind of herbicides, problematic type circumstances is dig it out.
15: Just dig the whole thing out.
2: To Go down. You're probably going to have to go down about six or eight inches, and okay. just dig up, you know, individual, let's say, one foot square pieces, and shake all the soil off the root systems. And then that's probably going to be the most effective way to, you know, take care of okay, your circumstances. That's circumstance. what
15: I was figuring, but I didn't know because there's a there's a couple places I dig do by the I I did I did dig <laughs> dig do I did dig by the uh, fences and stuff where it'll still grow, but I, I think it's from the neighbor's yard. It'll come over and just go through the uh, through the fence itself. Right,
2: exactly. Know? So, I mean, that could be certainly the circumstance. But, yeah, you've got to get the entire root system. And, you, like I said, usually about six or, you know, a one spade depth should be able to get the entire root system. Now, you're probably going to have some sprigs and stuff like that. But so it's not going to be just a one-shot deal. It may take a couple times of going yeah. after it. But uh, that would be my recommendation.
15: Do I, uh, do I put anything in there after I dig them out just to keep it from coming back, or do I go ahead and dig them out?
2: Just dig them out. Shake, you know, shake the soil and make sure you just get all the root systems and, and the stems and everything out. Shake the soil back into the hole. And if you okay, see, okay. that's probably going to be the easiest way.
15: Well, God bless you. I understand the seizure situation. Thank you, sir. Have a great day.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, I haven't had any, you know, any kind of surgery or anything, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really kind of a dramatic type thing. So, you know, my tip of the trowel to you, certainly, for having to deal with what you're dealing with. Let's head now to Shrewsbury and go into Steve's yard. Hi, Steve.
16: Hey, Mike. How you doing this morning? Very good. I've got two questions. I've got a a large uh, 35 year old white locust tree in my front yard and it has uh, two surface roots that are kind of protruding out of the ground and I'm afraid that people or kids or the dog is going to trip over that. My wife prefers that I don't touch those roots. I was wondering if it's safe enough to trim those two particular roots uh, that are over the, you know, up out of the grass.
2: Uh, You're probably, it's ill-advised to do that because you start, you know, whacking and, you know, chopping off roots. The amount of growth you have above the ground is related to how much growth there is below the ground, even though part of the roots is up on the surface that you can see that people could trip over or anything else. You chop some of those and it could really start doing some overall damage to the above ground growth of your tree. So locust trees, they're native, they're tough, they're durable. And the surface rooting, that's just, you know, part of the aging factor and the type of soil that you have there in Shrewsbury.
16: Yeah, I guess I'll just keep that grass up as high as I can around those roots and and maybe uh, uh, people won't trip over
2: Yeah, how far away from the trunk are the roots actually on the surface?
16: Oh, probably uh, maybe uh, six to eight feet
2: also, you could just put a, you know, get some, put six or eight, you know, just cover the area with mulch.
16: Yeah, I do have mulch around the tree itself, but uh, maybe I'll expand that a little bit right. further out.
2: Just, you know, and just cover, you know, you can put the mulch, make the mulch about, to, don't pile it up on the trunk. So do a kind of a bagel type thing and make it, uh, you know, go out and you know, cover three or four inches or so with mulch
16: great okay and my other question was uh, in my backyard i've got uh i had five amber maple trees planted when we moved in about 35 years ago mm-hmm. and i've only got four left and they're starting to get pretty ratty i don't know if they're at the end of their life uh expectancy here but they get so high that they start getting up by my roof and on my gutters can, you, can, can i top those and will that affect them at all
2: yeah, the maples really prefer to be pruned in the summertime, and okay. so again, just wait you know wait for a couple months and then do the pruning. But they, should, I mean, their Emmer maples are pretty tough and durable. They usually have multi trunks, and right. I don't know these, if
16: you're... these do have multi trunks.
2: Yeah, and uh, so consequently, another nice thing of them, they can take a wetter soil circumstance, but that that may not have anything to do with you. But yeah, you can do the certainly do some pruning with them.
16: Okay, and how much do you think I can take off of those?
2: I, I I probably, again, would not take more than probably 25% off at the most.
16: Okay. All right. Listen, I appreciate your help, and I appreciate uh, your expertise. You have a good day, and uh, hopefully we'll have an earlier spring.
2: <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and now let's go to Barb, and she lives in Winsfield. Hi, Barb.
8: Hi, Mike. I uh, wanted to ask a question about the pre-emergence. I think I have used it wrong uh one year and had a lot of trouble can i put that over uh in a flower bed like got cone flowers and all kind of uh flowers in it that return every year right can i put that over it
2: yeah basically you want to get a product called preen p-r-e-e-n that's the best one for, you know, bed spaces. And what it'll do is, you know, your comb flowers and everything, now they do come back. They're perennial, so they come back from the root system and things like that. But also they, you know, if you left the flowers on there long enough, they do drop some seed. So that's going to impact whether the seeds are going to germinate. If you're not that concerned about it, again, just, you know, get the preen and put it down. Read the label, you know, on it or ask wherever you get the product You know, and you're going to be putting it down the same time as I was talking about when the forsythia is in bloom.
8: Okay, I've used preen before and I worked it into the soil. Yeah, I found out. I couldn't (laughs) grow green beans, planted them four times. So, so why you, because they're, uh, because the flower bulbs are different than trying to plant seed. And get it to grow,
2: huh? Right, exactly. Completely different. And preen is, you know, was formulated for, you know, bed spaces as opposed to as the majority of the pre-emergence that are available. They're, you know, for more lawn and they're bigger bags and all that kind of stuff as well. No,
8: I have a big thing of, of preen here that i was scared to use again. <laughs> so do I have to work it into the soil no, between no. the flowers?
2: No, not at all.
8: Okay. okay. So
2: you just want it on the soil. Do you have mulch on your beds? Uh, Not much. Okay. So then, yeah, just put it on the surface because, again, what the pre emergent does is create a chemical barrier on the surface, and then when the seed germinates, it kills it right at that point of germination.
7: Okay.
8: That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Certainly.
2: My pleasure. Mike Miller, Wash Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I talked about the warm season weeds germinating when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. And what's growing in your lawn right now or on your bed spaces or things like that are the cool season annual weeds. They germinated last August. They love it when it's cold. They don't care how cold it gets or anything else. So watch out in your lawn or on your bed spaces for things like henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, uh, rabbit foot clover, shepherd's purse, and things along that line. Probably the best thing to do is uh, you could certainly use a broadleaf weed killer on the things, except not on the annual bluegrass, but uh, you can hand-dig them, too. So that's kind of what I do or go about it. Let's head out to Sunset Hills and go into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary.
6: Hey, good morning, Mike. I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, we bought a house last year, and it has a pool. Around the pool is probably a 10-foot retaining wall, and the previous owners planted junipers to, uh, for a privacy barrier. I'm sure the soil in there is probably not the greatest and these junipers are too close together, I'm sure. And it's only about a four foot wide area and they're dying from the top down. So they had topped a few of them off just to cut off some of the dead branches. I guess that's probably just a temporary solution. And when they're fully dead, what do you suggest we put in there?
2: Uh, do you want to, are you going to try try to create a barrier?
6: Yeah, it would be nice to have a, Thank you. It'd be nice to have a barrier for privacy. So um, I'm sure it's going to be hard to figure out what to go in um, and how much time do we leave between ripping these things out and putting something else in. Yeah. So the barrier I, is the goal.
2: My tendency would be to think about using some kind of trellis and grow vines on the trellis and maybe even okay. just grow annual vines as opposed to a perennial type vine. So in other words, morning glories, moonflowers, those type things, as opposed to, you know, let's say uh campus radicans or you know in other words or honeysuckle or something along that line because anything that you put in if shrub wise is going to take a long time where if you put you know sections of fence or trellis in you can grow the vines and get it basically growing that same season and to to screen the
6: views okay that makes sense yeah and i'm figuring the soil is probably pretty rough in there anyway so
2: and I mean, it would always help to improve the soil before you plant the annual, you know, the annual vines in there. But there's so many different, I mean, there's grape hyacinth vines, there's all kinds. And they just, you know, for the first few weeks after they're in the ground and they germinate, they're going to be a little bit slow, but then they'll explode and you're going to be amazed at how much, how fast they actually grow.
6: Okay, that's a good idea. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so if we cut these things down, just cut them off and leave the trunk and everything in there and just plant the vines around there so it. Would you be okay leaving that in?
2: Well, just that's not the ideal circumstance. It'd be better if you could them up out of the ground. But if it's too much work, just you know, give it a try and see what happens.
6: Okay. But if they're if you topping them is just a temporary solution, that's not gonna slow the the, 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 the slow death they're going through now, right?
2: No, it really won't. It's probably there may be too wet. And that's why you generally yeah, when will. things start dying from the top down is you know the moisture factor.
6: Okay. Very good. Well, thank you for your help.
2: Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's see where are we headed. Let's go into Tammy's yard, and she lives in St. Louis. Hi, Tammy.
7: Hi, Mike. Uh, following up on the preen discussion from a minute ago. Mm-hmm. So, if I wanted to then put down mulch, how long do I need to wait when I lay the preen down before I can put mulch in the bed?
6: I
2: would probably wait for a couple of weeks because you want to make sure that you're going to get you know as many of the Let's say weed seeds germinated during that time and killed off before you put the mulch on. it. The mulch really doesn't necessarily impact, let's say, the ability of the preen to work. But you know, mm-hmm. going in there with a shovel or a rake or whatever, how you're going to spread the mulch, or you know, wheelbarrow wheelbarrowing mm-hmm. it in, uh, that just breaks that barrier, and so that's what mm-hmm. the downside is. Okay,
7: very very good. Thank you very much. Certainly. Bye.
2: And now let's go to Waterloo, Illinois, and into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue.
7: Hi, Mike. I am interested in putting in a new, um, like, a wildflower garden. Mm -hmm. And so I have uh, an area where right now it has grass and weeds, um, and I just just think I want to fill it with wildflowers. And I was wondering, what is my best plan of doing that? You know, do I want to do seed? Am I better off getting plants?
2: Uh, probably a combination of both would be the okay. ideal thing. So get some, right. you know, already germinated, you know, fl- you know, wildflowers or whatever you're going to go after, you know, from the garden centers. Then mix in some of the, you know, mix in some seeds, too. Okay. But the and area should I? Yeah. yeah,
7: that's what I need to do. How to prepare the area.
2: Yeah, I mean, anything that's in there, you should really get rid of. Like either kill it off or dig it out or something along that line. And then mix, you know, some again organic materials in that ground in that bed space, you know, an okay. inch or so, and or two inches, and then go from there. So probably and then kill I would. It off. Yeah, I would probably be very patient. Maybe for the first year, just go after killing, getting rid of everything that's there, and wait for a full year, and then plant next year.
7: All right, that's not the answer
2: I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the, that's the ideal situation because if you don't, you're going to have, even if you put herbicides down and it kills a lot of them, it's not going to get rid of all of them. It's just that way, I mean, you could plant in there. It's just you've got to be really careful on knowing what's what. So if you see some stuff coming up, got to make sure that that's a weed and you want to get rid of it, either digging it out or, you know, painting herbicide on it or whatever it happens to be and not, you know, killing or getting rid of something that's, you know, some seeds that are germinating or some perennial wildflowers that are in there.
7: Well, what's the difference in a wildflower and a weed?
2: <laughs> it's all <laughs> how you I look mean, at them. I know, I know, exactly, because <laughs> a
7: lot of the wildflowers are weeds. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. we call them weeds. Right. So so there I go with that. Right. So, um,
2: I mean, you could just, it all depends on what you want to embrace.
7: Okay. So I want to do some this spring and summer. So I want to I take this area that's part of my, that's between two gardens. And this is, I live in the country, so this is country style. We're uh-huh. not, we don't care if there's weeds in it and stuff. Oh. There's going to be weeds. I mean, we just have, there's too much here. Right. There's going to be weeds. I mean, I got this big bird area out here where every year these giant sunflowers grow, and I have no control over those because that's what's in the feeder sure. and every year. And so so I'm even going to add more sunflowers because I like the sunflowers. Right. But I guess my idea is what? how should I start just to say, okay, this big, this patch of grassing weeds is now called a garden. What oh. do I want to do it? I would
2: rototill it, level it out, and see what happens.
7: Okay, should I put anything in there to kill anything or just till it and let nature do I would
2: it just, things? you know, till it, let nature, you know, and then you can sort of like selectively figure out what there is. Because like you said, some things that are considered weeds here in the city is not necessarily yeah, weeds you exactly. know, where you are. So exactly. consequently, it might be, you know, ragweed. It might be who knows what. It's something that you really want and yes. uh, not necessarily that you want ragweed, but uh so that's, you know, do it that way. Then you can kind of start from ground zero and see what's going to come up.
7: So should I, after I till it, um do I want to uh put the compost on top of that then?
2: You can put and... the compost down, but mix that in as well. Just don't lay your compost on top. Okay. And just mix um... it in. And probably I'd rototill it, wait for two weeks, see what's going to come up, and then, you know, put the compost in and rototill it again. Then you could do the planting, either seeds or perennials that, uh, you know, that you get at your favorite garden center or
1: whatever.
7: Okay, so wait two weeks, put down the mulch. And then rototill it again. After, Do I want the mulch to sit on there before I rototill it the second time?
2: Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I mean, not necessarily, you know, you want to make sure that you don't use wood mulch. Use, you know, use compost as right, opposed right. to mulch. Right, right. Know,
7: I know what you're saying. Okay. okay, yeah, not mulch, compost. Right. Okay, compost. Um, okay, then when do I put the seeds down?
2: Uh, anytime after that. You know, you've already seen what there is there. And then so you put the seeds down or get some, you know, get some plant material. Just make sure maybe you get some landscape paint where you put the seeds down and paint a circle around the area where you put the seeds. And then consequently, you know that these are pretty much seeds and the seeds are going to come up. They all kind of look the same. If you, if you see something else coming up in that area, maybe think of, let's see, what is this? And should I yeah, go ahead I'm and get? Pretty rid of good.
7: that? I'm pretty good at knowing the weeds versus. Oh, the good. Thoughts. Don't ask me why, but my mom, I don't know. I just learned that. but uh, So I'm, I'm not too concerned about that, but I like the idea of the landscape paint. I've never heard of that before. Um, okay, that all sounds great. Um, so I need you to tell Brian that he's got a lot of work to do then.
4: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let
7: him know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks for the info.
2: Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, folks, we're headed to Jim's yard, and he lives in Fenton. Hi, Jim.
11: Yeah, how you doing, Mike? Anyway, uh, yeah, I have um,
14: just a suggestion to people. I hear them calling in at different times talking about their dogs uh, tearing up the yard and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I usually... Uh, by like cattle fencing which has like six inch squares into it I cut them about six foot long bend them over about eight inches off the ground and that way they're movable they're lightweight and that and you can move them to mow the grass or whatever you need to do but it stops the dogs from running into the fence or just running a path you know like that and right. it's also good for deer around Around the bottom of the uh, tree or bush, whatever they're attacking, uh, dogs or deer don't like to step into a hole or <laughs> anything that rounds that. So usually it'll, it'll slow them down anyway. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, great. That's good insight. Thanks.
14: All right. Okay. Thank you. Bye.
2: Certainly. And now let's go over to Maryville, Illinois, and see what's going on in Joe's yard. Hi, Joe.
14: Hi, Mike. Good morning. I got a question on uh, zoysia grass. Most of this yard here is zoysia, and I've been familiar with it for 25 years. It's never been dethatched, so I was wondering. I tried with a garden rake; that's impossible. So, with a leaf rake, I can get a lot of dead material out of the zoysia. But my question is: is that enough, or should I get uh, a little a machine or? have somebody dethatch this.
2: You could dethatch it with a machine if you want, but if, you're, if your zoys has been healthy for 25 years, using the leaf rake, is there's nothing wrong with that. Probably what I would do is right before you're going to do, right as it's starting to green up, that's when you want to do the raking. Uh, go ahead and you know set your mower kind of low, like about two inches or so, yeah. cut that, and then go ahead and r- rake it after that.
14: Now, after I rake all this dead material out with the leaf rake, I just Leave it there, or do I have to get it off the yard? You
2: should get it off the yard. So, either you know, throw it in the neighbor's yard, or you know, which I know you don't want to do, but anyway, uh, just yeah, don't just leave it sit there. So, just because it's you're getting it out of there, because you, know, if you just leave it kind of piled up as it is, you know, raked up, you could create a fungus problem because it's going to create you know, more humidity. That's the whole thing about. Dethatching also gets rid of dead blades and everything else, but also it makes it so there's better earth circulation on the surface.
14: So I can, with that leaf rake, get down close enough to the soil level to do it right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you.
2: Yeah, garden rake is a little too stiff. That's how I dethatch. I have zoysia too, but that's how I dethatch mine is with a leaf rake. So thanks, Joe. And now let's see. Let's go into Jim's yard, and he lives in St. Louis. Hi, Jim.
1: Good morning. Good morning, sir. So I got I got a question about a white swamp oak tree that I planted four years ago. Um, the first year it did great. The second year it actually produced the big, healthy acorn. You know, the inch and a half acorn. Wow. Um, the the third year, and again, this this tree was probably six years old when I purchased it. Mm-hmm. Um, last summer, it was doing great, growing. Beautifully, and I noticed swarms of of a small bee that was all around the tree for maybe a month, maybe starting in July. Um, I didn't think much about it. I know the big oak trees around me, the pin oaks, all have those ugly oak galls on them, but I didn't think that it bothered a white oak um, because these were all pin oaks that have this problem. Right. Uh, This so then last fall it didn't drop one acorn. Um, Now as, as the tree is losing the list of its leaves, I'm noticing that all of the acorns are about the size of a pea, and they all have a small hole drilled in them, and they're stuck to the branches. Um, could Was that probably the result of all those little wasps that I saw swarming uh, the tree?
2: Yeah, it could certainly be, you know, a result of that. But, you know, that's actually an insect that's actually, you know, drilling into the acorn. So that's what, uh, you know... There's not too much you can actually do about that, to be honest. So I don't have the information, you know, right off the top of my head. But uh, right. let's see. I forget exactly what the insect is, but if you listen next week, I'll, you know, I'll can update you on that. But it's you oh, know, right. the, the hole in the acorn is separate from what you're, you know, what you're experiencing, and the the wasp that causes the gall. That all they do is what they do is slit the, you know, the branch. Then they the female deposits the eggs into the slit, and then the, when the eggs hatch, that's what causes that bloating, and that's a kind of a protective type thing. So that's what happens. But holes in the acorns are completely separate from that. There was somebody that okay, called yeah. you know, about you know holes in pecans and hickory trees, but I'm sure that that's probably what you're, you're experiencing.
1: Okay, all right, I appreciate it. Now listen, and then I love that you share your education of uh, of uh, botany with everybody. It's it's an incredible show.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate Bye. you uh, you're listening because it's your show. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. And now let's go to uh, Ryan, and Ryan lives in St. Louis. Hi, Ryan.
11: Hey, Mike. How are you? Good. Um, I, I have a zoysia lawn. It used to be a very healthy lawn at one time. A couple summers back, I should have watered it, and I didn't. Mm. It burnt up. Crabgrass kind of said thank you very much, took over. And I'd, I'd say about a third of my lawn now is crabgrass. Yikes. So, yeah, uh, I'm looking for a way to um, kind of take it back, uh, to get the Zoysia, you know, a chance to take it back over. Right. Um, specifically looking for like a non-toxic uh, product that I could use. Uh, Do I, what sort of pre-emergent could I use? What sort of post-emergent could I use to kind of facilitate this?
2: Basically, when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, you just go to your favorite garden center and tell them that you've got a problem with the crabgrass. They'll, you know, whatever pre-emergent they have, just make sure that, uh, you know, that they know that you're going after that. But it's basically crabgrass is a warm season annual weed. So that's what you need to get rid of. Okay. And then, as far as uh, after that, then you're going to have to get zoysia plugs or zoysia sod to infill these spaces.
11: Okay. Um, have you had any luck, or even tried? Uh, I think it's called corn gluten as a pre-emergent. Yeah, I mean it's one of vinegar. the ones that's
2: yeah it's one of the ones that's recommended.
11: Okay. All right. I might look into that. Okay. Great. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Yeah, Appreciate my it. pleasure.
2: And Mike from Winsville, it looks like we're not going to be able to get to you today, but uh, hopefully I'll be back next week. And everybody just, you know, enjoy the nice weather we're going to have today. I mean, I wish the sun was out, but we can't have everything. But uh, Mike Miller, KM Watch Garden Hotline, I certainly appreciate all of you having me on your show.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue.